0: This is episode 269, a coaching call about ongoing knee pain and how to finally run healthy. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is a behind-the-scenes coaching call with a runner named Jason. Jason, He's a member of our team strength running coaching program, and we're discussing his struggle with persistent knee pain as he's getting ready to run a half marathon. We'll talk more about training modifications that help with alleviating knee pain, passive versus active recovery, different treatment options, and more. If you'd like the opportunity to discuss your goals or problems with me on the podcast, those are available to all team members. Join us at strengthrunning.com join. And stay tuned until after our coaching call, I have a special follow-up segment with episode 261's guest, Irish national champion, Owen Everard. I got a great question about marathon training for more neuromuscular-oriented athletes, and Owen and I dig into that question with example workouts, mileage considerations, long-run changes, and more. Now, if you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com strengthrunning, or you could find me on Instagram at jasonfitz1. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world, no matter how fast they are, with our award-winning blog, free email courses, and our suite of training programs to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by London-based brand Sore Running. They make high-performance apparel that I've been loving over the last five months. Now, if you watch our YouTube videos, you'll probably have seen me rocking a ridiculously short pair of blue one-inch split-leg shorts. Their stuff is super high-end, ensuring elite-level gear for everyone, with technical fabrics and an ergonomic fit. See for yourself at soarrunning.com, and make sure you use code SRUN15, and you'll save 15% off your order until the end of October. I Hopefully, you can get shorts that are just as short as mine. (laughs) We're also supported by my favorite electrolyte company, Element. I brought Element to a group run actually just this week, and folks were thrilled to try it. You can prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. And they're offering you a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so you can try all the different flavors to find out what you love the best. Personally, I'm a watermelon guy. Go to drinklmnt.com strengthrunning to claim your free gift. All right, my guest today is a runner also named Jason. He's been back to running for about two years after a 10-year break, and he can't seem to shake this ongoing knee pain whenever he gets about halfway through a training cycle. We're gonna explore his training history, the type of pain he's experiencing, and why I'm actually encouraged by it, how he can get through his upcoming half, and then what he can do after the race to complete his road to recovery. Without further delay, please enjoy listening in on my coaching call with Jason. Jason, thanks for being here. I know it can be a little strange to come on a podcast and talk about your ongoing
1: injuries, so I do appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate the, uh, appreciate talking to you. You're the, you're the expert and I've been listening to you for a while, so I'm excited to talk to you. So yeah, um, You know, I, uh, um, 46 years old, so I've been running kind of my whole life other than about a 10 year period, uh, ran track as a sprinter, went to state, uh, that's about it, uh, then didn't go any further than that. And then off and on ran some distance for a while there, um, did some tough mutters, did some half marathons, did, uh, there's a, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and there's a 25 K that's pretty known throughout the country. Uh, I've done a few of those too. Um, then Took a 10-year break, got fat, uh, didn't run, and then kind of COVID hit, and I had a buddy like saying, hey, man, it's time to go. And so I started working out again, started running, started losing weight. And uh, yeah, so I've been back for about two years, and this next week will be my third half marathon, so.
0: All right. Well, you have a good friend over there getting you back into running. I know. I know. It was good for both of us. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So you've been running now for about two years, more consistently after your break. Um, and I know that you're experiencing some some knee pain, some knee issues. Uh, when when did that start?
1: So um, I would say almost right away when I started retraining, but it didn't come. It doesn't come till about halfway through the training. So obviously you slowly increase mileage and and intensity and stuff like that, and then it would just be around the knee. You know, um, I went to a chi slash PT. That's the extent of what I've done for it. And uh, he was pretty confident that it was just around the knee. So it was muscles and weakness. And so that was just a left knee. But then this training session, it's kind of been a little bit of both, more left than right. But it's the same kind of pain on the right. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> something's going on. Something's not broke or ripped or torn. It's something's weak or needs more work.
0: Yeah. So this didn't happen in in a scenario where there was an acute all at once sudden injury. This was more of a gradual onset of pain, right? That's correct. It was onset gradual. Yep. And and do you have a formal diagnosis for what kind of injury it might be? I mean, you're, you're not dealing with IT band syndrome, which usually presents with pain on the side of the knee, Uh, patellofemoral pain syndrome is often associated with pain somewhere along the kneecap itself. Do you have, you know, a specific injury that your PT has said that you're suffering from right now?
1: No, he didn't say. Um, I did suffer from the, I think the, the first training or the second bad IT stuff. But for whatever reason, I've been able to correct that, whether it's consistent rolling or whatever. Um, I do not have that issue anymore, but no, no official diagnosis from anything. I haven't been to a running doc or anything like that. So, all right. So you've been dealing
0: with some knee issues and it seems like this is, a uh, uh, an issue that's all, all around your knee stemming some from maybe some instability, maybe some muscle weakness. Let's get an idea of the kind of running that you're doing right now. Can you paint us a picture of your training right now? You know, miles per week, uh, maybe what those miles per week is like in the context of your history so for example you know if you're running say 25 miles a week is that low for you is that high for you give us a picture of, of what you're doing right now
1: the current training plan is uh, monday cross train tuesday sprints uh, or speed work either tempo or 400s wednesday weight training i'll put that in quotes Uh, Thursday, just a slow run. And then uh, Friday off, Saturday, long run, Sunday off. Friday, they say yoga, but I haven't really done much of that either. But uh, this training, uh, the max miles was last week for me, and it was only 22 miles, which uh, doesn't doesn't seem like a lot. I told my friend that got me back into running. I was like, gosh, I want to run more, but I'm trying to stick with the plan that I was given or what I decided to follow. So yeah, the, the most I've ran is 22 miles in, in one week. So,
0: okay. W- what is your long run like in a 22 ish mile week? It was 12, 12. Okay. And are you doing any faster training sessions? Any workouts?
1: Uh, just, yeah. On Tuesdays I do the temple run or the 400s. Got it. Okay. So you're doing a weekly
0: workout. You've built your long run to 12 miles. You've built your overall weekly mileage to a peak of 22 miles a week. Uh, and you you are doing some strength training. What, what's your strength training look like?
1: Well, my, my strength training looks like what you've I've learned from you. I kind of started listening to the podcast, so I'm really just doing the the Ballista and the Mac. Um, nothing really with actual weights other than like, you know, the kettlebell where you're kind of doing the, I don't even remember what it's called, but you're leaning over, putting one leg out. So I'm actually not lifting, doing anything like that at all. So that's, that's what I've been doing on Wednesdays.
0: Okay. So you've got, you've got a Wednesday strength workout. Um, so I'm getting a good idea of what you're doing for all of your different types of training and remind me how long you've been dealing with this knee pain that you're currently experiencing. Has this been like a week? Has it been three months? How long has it been?
1: Um, Well, it will go away if I stop running, obviously, because once I'm done with my race, I do take some time off. And I still do run through the winter, just not as near as many miles or intensity. But I would say in this training session, it's been going on for about two months.
0: Two months. That's two months too long. That's maybe six (laughs) weeks too long right there. (laughs) Yeah. So you've seen a a PT slash Cairo who's looked at the knee, who's evaluated you, what kind of treatment are you currently doing for the knee? Is it, is this stuff that maybe has been prescribed by your physical therapist or things that you're doing on your own?
1: Yeah. I'm basically, uh, right now he thinks that it's, I don't know about it's a muscle between the quad and the hamstring. Obviously you would think, Oh, that's the IT band, but there's another muscle in there. I don't know. There's he he named it. But basically right now, just really getting in with a lacrosse ball, trying to move that leg while I'm sitting on that area and screaming in pain, uh, just trying to keep that moving. And when he works on me, he's just, oh, it's not fun. Like it is painful. He is digging into those quads. And I mean, it's like it'll be sore for two days after he's done. So I mean, this guy, he uh, he gets in there. Yeah,
0: I've been there, too. Sometimes you get on the table and you're seeing stars, you're seeing God. It's a, (laughs) it can be a real experience. Yes, it can. Uh, Let me ask you this. What do you think is helping your knee pain? So in other words, I'm sure you've tried a bunch of different things. You know, you're foam rolling, you're doing some strength work, you might be stretching, you might be getting that manual therapy with your PT.
1: What actually do you think is providing you with some relief? Honestly, I mean, and it might be placebo, but I've been wearing this uh, knee brace when I run and it it really doesn't bother me a ton when I run, which is so weird, right? So I do a manual job where I stand uh, on a machine, I fertilize lawns, and it actually bothers me more while I'm working than actually running. So I'm sure it heats up every all the muscles are getting warm and loose. So when I'm running, it's not so bad, but it doesn't really cause me too much trouble running. But I would say that brace, I mean, it, I don't know, it, it feels better when I wear it when I work out. Huh,
0: that actually, to me is almost a little bit encouraging, you know, like, it, it, it doesn't mean that this is an injury that running is making substantially worse. Because, you know, look, you're going out there running, you're covering 22 ish miles a week, you've gotten in a 12 mile long run. And it doesn't seem to bother you too much while you're running. And whenever I'm kind of thinking about injuries and whether or not we should train through them, I always ask runners, you know, these kind of three questions, you know, number one, does the pain
1: get worse as you run? And
0: so it doesn't seem like the pain is getting any worse as you go running. Is that
1: right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you get the twinges here and there. You know what I mean? It's not it's not completely pain free, but it does not get worse. Okay. So that's really good. And
0: then when you do experience some of that discomfort, is it sharp or stabbing, or is it a little more like dull and achy and just a general discomfort?
1: Uh, dull. Okay. Achy. Yeah. It doesn't just go. Yeah. Cause that, that mean it would like, it would ruin my, my stride, right? If it was like sharp, I would be like, Whoa, like I would have to kind of, and I don't really, I just like, have to do that. I'm just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of annoying. All right. All right it went away.
0: Right. You, so you're feeling it, but you're not necessarily feeling like you know someone putting a needle into your knee or something really acute. No, not like that. Okay. So that's more good news. And the last question I would always ask is, if you're out there running and you're feeling your knee a little bit, do you have to alter your running form to be able to keep running and finish the run or run pain free? No, I do not. Okay. So- You've passed my my three-pronged test here with flying colors. So so for me, I'm very encouraged by this. I would actually not really label this a serious injury. I mean, you're obviously training through it. You've got this race on the schedule and the race is happening is it this weekend or or is it next weekend?
1: Next weekend. Yep. Yep, it's a half marathon. Yep.
0: All right. And so you've got in that 12-mile long run, which tells me that you're not going to have any problems finishing the half marathon on race day. So, so far, I I think you're good to go for now. So that's, that's my, my test to see if you can finish up this training cycle, if you can run the race, and maybe after the race is a good opportunity for you to focus on, let's finally kick this thing, get healthy, so they don't have to deal with any of these knee problems. It's probably going to be challenging to both treat the problem and get ready for the race at the same time. I always like to tell runners, you know, let's focus on one thing at a time, really hard to treat an injury and train for a race at that same time. So what I'm thinking is after your race, let's really go sort of ham on treating this injury on getting healthy and pain-free. Um, have uh, a couple more questions too. have you ever discovered that there's certain types of running, whether that's maybe a faster workout or long run, certain types of cross training that tend to be more aggravating for your knee?
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely um, the speed workout. I, I I think I was built to be a, uh, to run fast in shorter distances, because when I do that stuff, I'm like, I mean, for me, you know, obviously, I'm I'm hauling, I'm putting it all in. I, I, I while I hate the 400s, uh, I also feel really good when I'm done with them. I love the tempo run. The tempo run is like, oh, that's my that's my jam. But yeah, I it definitely is a little bit more sore the next day uh with those speed workouts.
0: Yeah, and then that's not surprising to me. I would say of all the types of work we do in our training as runners, likely the most stressful is the faster work that we're doing. Any kind of faster training session or speed work, that's really going to put the most stress on our bodies because that is when we're experiencing the most impact force. That's when we're really, you know, taking the most number of steps even. So there's a lot more stress in those kinds of scenarios. Um, what are you doing right now to address the knee pain that you're experiencing?
1: Yeah, I, um, I when I get home, um, initially right away, and then I will apply some heat periodically if I'm working at the desk or whatever. Um, I do take quite a bit of CBD. Um, I'm a huge proponent of that for inflammation. Uh, but I'm not really taking any meds or anything. I, I uh, It's not that bad. No, I wouldn't put it past me to take some ibuprofen about a half hour before my half marathon. But, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm really not taking anything other than the CBD to help that.
0: Okay. Yeah. And if if that's giving you some relief, then I, I don't really think there's anything damaging or negative or harmful that can come from that. Have you ever had a gait analysis where, you know, someone looks at your running form, whether that's, you know, a super formal one where you're in a running lab and they've got you hooked up to a bunch of stuff or even just at a shoe store where you're getting on a treadmill and someone's just looking at you going for a run?
1: Yeah, I've definitely done the shoe store one, nothing super formal. So... Did did they tell you anything
0: about your stride, you know, um, you know, and we should be clear that if you go to a shoe store and you get a running form analysis, it is not as formal as detailed as comprehensive as what you're going to experience in a running lab, but nevertheless, it's a good opportunity for someone just to spot any major red flags. So if there's something serious that's happening with your form, that's a good place for them to spot it. So did they Tell you anything about your form that, you know, is something that you might be wanting to work on?
1: No, the only thing they said is I do strike more with my forefront or foot at the front than I'm not a heel striker or anything. That was about the extent of, of, of the, of the test. So, okay.
0: Well, Jason, one of the things I've noticed is that you're doing a fair amount of passive recovery techniques, you know, everything from icing the knee, heating the knee, Uh, getting some manual therapy on the table with your PT, you know, that's you just kind of laying there while he manipulates the the musculature and the tissues. Um, And and I think there's some value in all that kind of work. It can certainly provide relief, but I do think active recovery and more active treatments are probably going to be more effective at helping you feel better in the long term. So, Now we get to the, get to the point where we get to figure out what to do about this knee issue of yours. So I think from now until your half marathon, you should do whatever you can to feel your best. So that's probably going to be, you know, let's avoid any super hard workouts. I mean, you're tapering right now, so you probably don't have any more really hard workouts anymore. Um, you know, let's be a little bit more cautious with that because that's also the work that's the most stressful for your knee. I think it would be a good idea to wear your knee brace either every run or at least the faster workouts and definitely for the half marathon itself. Uh, are you currently wearing the knee brace every time you go running?
1: I have for the last two weeks.
0: Okay. Well, I think for now, that's a good idea. It's it's working for you. It's reducing pain. It's going to help you get through this half marathon. And And I think that's a, a good approach. Okay. And then once you run the half, and take a little bit of time off, I think then is where, okay, now let's sort of try to revamp your training a little bit. Let's try to get you in a position where you're not just not necessarily treating a knee issue. You're sort of training in a way that is going to prevent this problem from happening in the future. Because I don't necessarily think that this is such a major problem where you've got to spend a dedicated, you know, three to five weeks going to the PT's office three times a week with a very complicated treatment protocol. Because at the end of the day, you can still run. You're gonna run, race a half marathon and not really experience any sharp pain, any debilitating sort of injuries. So uh, I'm feeling very optimistic about this. Uh, I would say that maybe the number one thing that you could potentially do to reduce any knee pain in the future is Start a more consistent strength training habit. You know, you're already doing some of our routines. I think you're doing the mace routine and the ballista routine. Uh the mace routine is a single leg uh strength routine. So that can be really helpful at working on some imbalances. And then the ballista routine is, you know, a, a what I would call a, a 3D strength routine. So you're working in all three planes of motion, and that can be really helpful. Um, but Instead of doing this kind of work once a week, I think we should do it almost every day. And, you know, like you said, you're not throwing around, you know, weighted barbells in the weight room like crazy. You know, these are mostly body weight oriented types of strength routines. And that means they're not overly stressful. A lot of these exercises are taken from the world of physical therapy. So they're going to not only help you get stronger and improve your range of motion, improve your general athleticism. But they're also going to be very therapeutic, and they're really going to fix any imbalances or weaknesses that you might have. So, you know, I have this concept called the the sandwiching kind of method. It's just an approach where every run is sandwiched in between a dynamic warm up and then a post run core or strength workout that should be running running specific. So, if you're doing a dynamic warm up before you're going running you know, that's really going to help warm you up for the run itself. And and a lot of the times it can help clear out some of the cobwebs in in your legs. It can help loosen you up and really just allow you to go from sedentary to running in a much more effective way. You're essentially bridging that gap between sedentary and running. And I think that's really helpful if you're injury prone, if you're a master's runner. Uh, if, you know, you just have a history of these kind of injuries, a dynamic warmup is, is going to be that first line of defense. Let's get warm. And, and I think you mentioned earlier, it does feel a little bit better once you're warmed up, once you're, you've been using your muscles. And so that warmup routine can be really helpful at providing some of that relief, even before you start running. And the other great thing about a dynamic warmup is that it includes some strength training. So you're going to get a little bit of a dose of strength training in your warmup and you know it's it's kind of like sneaking vegetables into a food that you like you know you're you're getting some good stuff and it's not a formal strength workout you're not really doing anything too difficult and then after your runs let's do some other routines like ballista like the mace routine uh and these routines are on strength running anyone listening can go get these routines they're free um but we have so many other routines you could do the standard core routine you could do the gauntlet plank workout, the ITB rehab routine. Uh, We've got the tomahawk medicine ball workout, and I'll follow up with you via email and send you links to all these different workouts that you can do. And since you're on team strength running, we do have a bunch of other routines in our members area that you can sample as well. And if you're doing one of these routines after every one of your runs and, you know, after the race, maybe you're not running as much as you are right now it might be a good idea to maybe do a routine five days out of the week. So five of seven days, you're actually doing one of these easier strength routines. And after four weeks, six weeks, maybe you want to start making them a little bit more challenging. So you can start adding bands, you can start using a kettlebell, or if you really want to kind of, take a big bite out of this weightlifting apple here, you can actually go to a gym and do some weightlifting. I would say that's not necessary. I don't think you necessarily have to do that. I actually think the body weight oriented strength training is going to be a little bit more therapeutic. Like that's what you're going to do if you go see a PT and they're like, okay, we've got some weakness here. They're going to have you go through a bunch of assessments and then do strength training exercises that are going to help strengthen all the surrounding musculature around your knee. So I think that's a really good place to start is let's just make sure that we're doing a fair amount of very consistent strength work, um, because that really helps build some athleticism and that range of motion. And you're just going to feel better on a day-to-day basis, you know, like running, running's great. I mean, look at me, like my whole life revolves around running, right? I love the sport. It's my passion, but at the same time, I recognize it's a fairly one-dimensional activity we've got to do some other things to build up our bodies in different ways so that we don't break down. Now, I'm a little curious too, about maybe your history with, with strength training. Um, you know, you said you were a sprinter. Sprinters usually have like a, a little bit of a better relationship with strength training than us distance runners. So I'm curious if you've ever gotten into strength training in the past in a little bit more of a bigger way.
1: See no cuz I'm old. I'm 46. So I I went was running in the early 90s. It was like, hey, there's your shoes, let's go. There's the starting blocks like there was no there was no weightlifting. There was no there was no dynamic stretching. It was just stretch a little here and let's go. So I don't have much in uh, history at all with weightlifting. I did a couple years or like the first year I started running again, I was training at, there's a club called F45. So it's like functional weightlifting. You know what I mean? Not like you're at a gym, like deadlifting or anything like that, but that's, that's about it. I don't really have much experience at all with weightlifting. Okay.
0: Well, I actually think that that means you stand to gain more by starting any kind of strength training. And even though I think weight training in a gym, actual weightlifting is really beneficial for runners. I also recognize that it's not a hundred percent necessary. I would love to see every runner do it, but if you don't have a home gym, if you don't want to get to a commercial gym, or you're just not interested, frankly, then we can go very far with just some body weight exercises, uh, in those different routines. And I would, I would definitely encourage you to, um, follow a, a formal routine rather than just trying to string together a bunch of exercises that, you know, you saw on a website somewhere, or you're on menshealth.com or whatever. And, and you're reading the top three great exercises for knees, you know, let's actually follow a more, um, running specific routine because then you really just have to, um, memorize the routine. You just know the order of exercises. And then you're going to say to myself, okay, today I'm doing the ballista routine. You don't have to remember all eight exercises. You just know you're doing that one routine. You know, it has an end point and, and that really helps with adherence because I don't know if you're like me, this is the, this, if I am busy at all, or I'm short on time, this is the work that gets canceled first Oh yeah, is all of the post run work, all of the little extras that shouldn't even really be considered extras you know they are the things that enable our running so uh if you can follow those routines i think you're you're going to stand to gain a lot
1: yeah i mean i i'll be honest with you weightlifting is not high on my list when i did do tough mudder i did a lot of upper body weights because it's a lot of grabbing and i was like oh, i got strong legs which proved to be true i did but even with that, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but yeah, your exercises, those, those routines are pretty quick. Most of them, I got them memorized, but yeah, I don't do them very often, uh, at all other than just once the week, once a week. So I definitely need to, to get after that. So.
0: Yeah. And you're definitely going to, um, uh, feel a lot more progress when you do it consistently. Cause you know, I, I think once a week, is probably not enough. It's sort of like running once a week. You're not really going to get too much training adaptation or progress from just running once a week. Um, and these routines are easy enough where you can do them most days of the week. It's not like lifting heavy weight in the gym, which I would say is more akin to doing a faster workout on the track or like a long run. You need to recover from that. You need an either an easy day or a recovery day. But all those body weight routines, those are more like short, easy runs. You can do those day after day after day, and you, the recovery you get from 24 hours and a night's sleep is plenty when it comes to recovering from those routines. Um, I think the other thing that I think might be helpful for you is is spending a little bit of time away from very hard workouts. So, you know, maybe it would be helpful to to get an idea of when you started this current training cycle when you know, your knees started to hurt. Do they start to hurt before or after you first started doing faster workouts? And, you know, my second question is how soon into the training cycle did you start those faster workouts?
1: Well, the, the cycle that I, uh, or the training cycle that I have now, it, it's right away. I mean, obviously they build up, you know, like I think the first week was four, four hundreds, you know what I mean? And then, and then a tempo run and, I, I really have trouble going slow. Like my, I, that is my biggest downfall in what I've been working, like my, my recovery runs. Like I have to, I look at my watch more on recovery runs than I do actually on speed workouts because I keep going too fast. So my guess is that's, was part of the problem. Um, you know, I went too fast, but yeah, the, the, the speed workouts happen right away. It's just, you know, the tempo runs are smaller and the amount of 400s are smaller yeah and I was, and your and your question was when did the knee you know it it's usually about halfway through a training cycle, which I think this was a sixteen week plan or fifteen weeks, so it's usually about half halfway it starts creeping in
0: okay, yeah, I'm starting to think that if you give yourself some time to get strong, if you give yourself some time to build a base of easy mileage and, and that can include some faster running, but it shouldn't include too much difficult running. And there's definitely a difference between fast and hard, right? Like we can run strides, you can do a really simple fartlek workout, you know, maybe something like 6 times a minute at a relatively quicker pace. You know, we don't even really need to label it, you know, 10k pace or half marathon pace. As long as you're getting some exposure to running fast, um strides is another good example where that probably won't bother your knee because it's just such a short effort at a faster pace that it's probably not going to be enough to really cause any any issues if you can give yourself the time you know may, maybe it could be as short as a couple of weeks you know maybe as long as two months where you're really focusing on getting stronger so okay I'm gonna do some strength training five days a week um, maybe if you're gonna be weightlifting you can limit it to two days a week and then a couple more days you can do that body weight work but five days a week of some strength training, I'm going to cut out all my faster workouts. I'm just going to run easy. Maybe I'll do some strides. Maybe I'll do a very easy workout during the week. I think what you're going to do is build a foundation of strength, of endurance, and that's then going to support your next training cycle. Because I think the hardest thing about jumping into a training cycle is that you sort of have to be ready to do all the things that are in that cycle, right? You have to be ready to do a long run you have to be ready to do a faster workout. And sometimes you need you need a base phase of training, you just need to get your legs underneath you, you need to build some capacity for those for that harder work that's to come. And it can be really hard to do that if you're jumping into a training cycle from rest, and you're not giving yourself that period of base phase of training. So I think a base phase can be really helpful for you um w- would that drive you crazy as a former sprinter not to run fast very often
1: uh no but i will i will be honest with you I skipped the first two weeks of the training because it was so little like it was so small like i just kept uh doing whatever i was doing and and that was just running more i guess and I don't know yeah it it, it would bother me but i i plan on uh, not starting maybe a training cycle till February. So I got plenty of time and, and and I'm going to try to do what I did last year is just, uh, you know, do a quote unquote long run on the weekends and maybe one easy run. And then I did a lot of rucking. I don't know if you're familiar with rucking. Uh, I did a lot of that too. So there wasn't a ton of running. Um, but I always had, I always kept a little bit of a base.
0: Yeah. I, I think rucking is actually pretty great. It can, it can be really fantastic at, building stronger legs, which is kind of interesting because you're just walking, but it's weighted walking. And so, it's very functional in that regard. Um, But at the same time, you know, you're not exposing your knees or or really any of your like musculature or joints to the same kind of impact forces, which can be over five times your body weight. Whereas if you're walking, I think the max is, is roughly three times your body weight. So, you know, you're certainly adding on some extra weight with a a weighted backpack. But with that said, that can be really helpful at at building some very functional strength uh, in the muscles around your knee. I would also just encourage you to try to run at least three days a week, you know, maybe that quote unquote longer run on the weekend, and then maybe two shorter runs during the week, uh, just because running is a more power based activity than walking you know you have to leave the ground to to technically be considered running and that flight phase of the stride it does ju- it's just so different than walking that we need to be practicing it regularly so that our body isn't so uh you know not used to the force of running and the impact force and just the the very uh, kind of up and down nature of running. So I do think at least three days a week is a really good idea. It, even if you're taking a couple months, you know, that couple months of, of time in between training cycles, let's maintain your ability to run with at least three days and then over index a little bit on strength, you know, kind of think of yourself as I'm going to be more consistent with strength training during this phase of tr- training than I actually am with my running. And that's going to really build up your capacity for more running before you even need to do the running itself.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I never thought about that. You know, like I said, I wanted to rest my legs. And so that's why I was like, I'll do rucking. So it's not such a hard impact, but yeah, I think those three days a week, you're wanting me to go slow though, like recovery run pace, right? You know, not, and that's the, yeah. we're not doing
0: workouts. We're just going to run super easy. If you want to do strides once a week, that's great, but Let's not do a workout.
1: I just get so bored. (laughs) I mean, I even (laughs) run for a long time, maybe three to five miles. Yeah. It's just like, it's not, I mean, when I say bored, it's just like, I feel like, doesn't it feel like on those crummy runs, like you're just not doing any work. You're like, you could just sing a song or have a full conversation. You're just like, am I even doing anything? You know, your heart rate's like barely hitting, uh, was it aerobic and, uh, and I don't know. Sometimes I I just struggle. My mind is like burr, 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 goes really fast. I don't know if it's my ADHD or what. So it's like I like the it's really hard for me to go slow, but but I'll work on it for sure.
0: Yeah. And look, Jason, we're exactly the same in that way. I just like to run fast. I like to push the envelope. I like to go hard. But I think one of the things that I am getting more and more behind as I get a little bit older and that as I learn more about training is that you can actually do a fair amount of zone one running and that's still really beneficial for your overall training. You know, you can look at, you know, Elliot Kipchoge's world record marathon training. He has an extraordinary amount of zone one and zone two running that, that he's doing on a weekly basis. And, you know, same thing with some of the best ultra marathoners in the world. Um, You know, they do a lot of very easy training because that's actually the training that builds general endurance the best. You know, once you start getting into zone three, it's this, this really interesting zone where you can easily overdo it, you can easily get into that point where it's not hard enough to really elicit all the great speed and uh, fitness adaptations that we're really looking for. But it's it's also not easy enough to give you some of the general endurance adaptations that you also want. So it's this in-between gray zone training that can be really hard for a lot of runners to escape from because it feels like you're working. It feels like you're getting in some hard work. and, And so you feel good about it, right? You're like, Hey, I did some good work today. I got in a sweat, you know, my muscles feel like they've been worked, but it's not actually in service of our long-term running goals. So I think one of the things that we can work on is potentially uh, slowing down some of your easy runs so that they're in a you know a more comfortable conversational you know um, you know controlled type of effort, and that's really going to help reduce the stress on your body while at the same time not negatively impacting your fitness gains in any way. So you're still going to reach any running goals that you might have for yourself in the future while at the same time, also reducing your injury risk. So uh, that, that I think is going to be a a really helpful strategy for you.
1: Yeah, I, I, it sounds like it's just weird to hear that going slow will, will be good in the, in the tail end. You know what I mean? I mean, if you think the same way I do, then you're kind of like, oh, come on, let's just get after it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want to get after it, but sometimes getting after it means just running slow. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it was funny. We did uh, a recent podcast episode with uh, Matt Meyer. He's he's a sub elite runner. You know, he, he doesn't have Nike knocking on his door or anything. He's run 234 in the marathon. And he runs a lot of his runs two and a half to three minutes slower than his marathon pace, which when you start doing the math on that, it, it's actually quite slow. And he is really strong. He regularly runs over 100 miles a week. Um, and, and I think that was episode 268 for folks who want to maybe go back and listen to that one. And, and we talk a lot about the value of easy running and even, uh, the interesting perspective on that is that easy running becomes almost mandatory when you're training really hard because in between your long days, in between those hard workouts, you've just got to run easy enough so that you don't get hurt. So if you are, dealing with these kinds of niggles and, and discomfort, one of the first things that I'm going to do is cut out intensity, because that's the most stressful, potentially damaging aspect of your training. Uh, and, and that can come in many different forms, it can be avoiding hard workouts, but it can also be just slowing down some of your easy runs. Okay,
1: yeah, that that sounds like a plan. All
0: right. Now you did say before we started recording that you've been dealing with some other little issues as well. Cause you know, when it rains, it pours, right? I mean,
1: this one is weird. So it's a, I'm going to try to pronounce it. Cause I did get a diagnosis for this. It's on the bottom of my foot. It's called sesamotitis. So oh, it's, yes, <laughs> the, am I saying it wrong or am I close?
0: Uh, I actually don't know how to pronounce it, and I'm definitely going to uh, embarrass myself if I tried. Uh, sesamoiditis.
1: Yeah, I, my wife's a nurse, and I said it really bad, and she's like, ooh, that's definitely not it. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, so I went into a running doc, and they uh, took some x-rays, and there's a little bone there, and I somehow was born with that bone having a split in it, uh, not a crack, but a split and both my feet are like that. And just like the knee, as I build in mileage, I get pain there, uh, which is, you know, they wanted to, they, they are going to send me to PT. I actually paused it cause I was training for this race. I'm like, I don't have time. I have a full-time job and I'm doing all kinds of extracurricular. I just didn't have time, but yeah, I'm dealing with that too. And, um, you know, the only thing I did on that is I changed my shoe brand uh, went to, um, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called, I think it's Topo. Yep. Yep. Uh, T O P O and they got a huge toe box. And then I dropped my lift a little bit from eight to five to put less pressure on that. So it seemed to help. It took longer before the pain started to creep in, but, um, yeah, I'm dealing with that too. So I, I don't know anything about that. That's, that's as far as I've gotten with that. So
0: yeah, that injury is is a little bit more rare, but it's it's essentially irritation or inflammation uh, right under the ball of your foot. And you know, you said earlier you're a four foot striker, so I'm not entirely surprised to hear that you're dealing with a, a four foot type injury. You know, usually what's recommended for something like this is just rest and anti inflammatories, which doesn't really help the issue at all. So, you know, a couple things to to think about number one, I think shoe choice is is a good thing for you to look into. You probably are going to want some slightly more cushioned shoes to give yourself uh, a little bit more shoe between you and the ground. Um, the other thing you might want to look at is not aggressively four foot striking when you're out running, you know, um, it's really hard to change how you run. And I'm always very hesitant to advocate for, form changes, especially if you're not doing it under the close supervision of a, you know, a gait specialist or someone who can really see you run on on a day-to-day basis. But um, some helpful cues to help with that is try to focus on putting your foot down underneath you. And just, just that kind of cue as you're out there running, just that thought can really help you put your foot down underneath you in more of a a piston sort of manner, rather than maybe reaching out in front of you and really trying to strike the ground with your forefoot. Now, of course, it really depends on how you run. That cue might not be helpful whatsoever, but for anyone who might be dealing with that issue, it could be an avenue just to provide a little bit more relief. The other thing that I might say is, you know, you mentioned being on your feet a lot for work, you might want to look into your, your professional shoes, what kind of shoes you're wearing for work. Maybe you could get shoes with more cushioning. Maybe you get some sort of insert that gives you, uh, in particular, more cushioning right under the forefoot, um, and, and that could be helpful. Um, is this something that you deal with when you're not running as well? Does it provide any sort of discomfort when you're doing other activities?
1: Uh, typically, no. It's, it, it stops when I'm done running. Um, towards these last couple of weeks, I've noticed a little bit with work, but it's funny you bring up the work boots. I, I tried those new shoes and there's so much room in there. I'm like, I gotta, I wear red wing boots and and I, when I put them on the morning, I'm like, Oh my gosh, these are so tight. So I'm I'm going to be changing my footwear to, and I know red wing does make a, a wide toe box. I'm like, I am all about those shoes now. Anything not like my, my topo shoes. I'm just like, these are terrible. So uh, definitely something for me to look at. But yeah, for the most part, once I'm done running within an hour, it's recovered and I don't really feel it. But but yeah, like after my 12 miles last week, I felt it for a day or two. But um, it's usually just in the higher mileage.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, high heeled shoes can certainly contribute to that because they're just going to put you in that elevated position where you're just putting more stress on the ball of your foot. So finding a shoe that has a slightly lower heel toe drop where your weight distribution can be a little bit more even, maybe a little bit more resting on your heel might actually be quite helpful for something like that. But, you know, if you if you go see a PT, they're probably going to tell you, well, you should stop running and, you know, just take Advil for the rest of your life. And we don't want that.
1: Well, thankfully, the PT I'm going to is at like a, a uh, it's not a running lab, but it's a legit physical sports lab. They have a lot of runner PTs in there. So I'm, uh, I've, I'm a seasonal worker, obviously. And uh, so in about two weeks, I'm going to restart that, that PT prescription and go in there for that, that foot issue. But yeah, they're going to tell you to rest it. I'm like, bro, like I'm running, like, I I don't want to rest it. Let's, let's figure out another way. But it is kind of preventing me from wanting to do my ultimate goal of of run a marathon. I I just don't know if I can handle that, that heavy mileage with the knee and that uh, maybe one problem at a time. You know what I mean? But Yeah.
0: Well, I'm very encouraged by the fact that your PT is, is someone who sees other runners. You know, this isn't, you know, a a random doctor in, in a clinic who, who just sees the general population. This is a population of athletes, of people who go running. And usually those PTs are just going to be much more effective. They understand the fact that you need to go running you need to go rucking. You need this for your mental health. This is part of who you are. And they're not going to tell you just to not do the thing that you love to do. So they're going to really understand that and help you develop a solution rather than just telling you to avoid the activity that's causing you pain. So, um, yeah, I think shoe changes, maybe some form changes. Uh, I would maybe talk to your PT about that. Um, when you restart PT after your half in a couple of maybe ask them to look at your running form. You know, they probably have a treadmill at this facility and they can look at you run uh, and just see if, you know, maybe your forefoot strike is just fine, but maybe it's a little bit too aggressive and there's a way that you can slightly tweak it so that you're just putting less stress on your forefoot. And that could be something that could, that could be really helpful.
1: Would you recommend a, a further drop on the, on the heel? I went from an eight to a five. I mean, obviously you can go down to a zero if you wanted to, but
0: it might be something worth experimenting with, but, you know, going from eight to zero in terms of like doing all your mileage in, in an eight millimeter drop shoe and then transitioning to all your mileage in a zero drop shoe, you know, now I'm worried that you're going to get Achilles tendinopathy or, you know, some sort of soleus or calf issue because you're running in a shoe that is substantially lower, uh, in a heel drop perspective perspective than, what you're used to. So we should always take these kinds of changes very gradually. I think you could experiment, you know, maybe one short run a week you do in a zero drop shoe just to see how you like it. And just make sure that the zero drop shoe has some good cushion underneath because there's a lot of zero drop shoes that have a very low stack height and they're very close to the ground. So that's probably not a shoe that's going to work for you.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, we, we 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 need some cushion under there. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, Jason, um, I, I don't think I solved all of your problems today. Um, I, I didn't think I was going to, but I at least hope that we've, you, we've got some good ideas moving forward so that you at least have a plan, you at least have some different things to try in your training so that you're not just sitting there floundering, not knowing where to go next. I, I think, you know, a base phase of training where you're running mostly slow where you're doing a fair amount of strength training, especially some more corrective, therapeutic PT oriented body weight strength training. Um, And then just really just trying to build that base of endurance as well as that base of strength. That's probably gonna be the best thing for you um, compared with what you're doing right now. Uh, Cause I think what you're doing now can be helpful at pain management at getting you through this race. But I don't know if it's addressing the root cause of your knee pain right now.
1: Yeah, I, I know it's not. I mean, obviously, if I stop running and it'll go away. I mean, I, I know it will, obviously, but it didn't solve the problem. It just whatever I was, you know, the force I was putting out of it's not there anymore. And it's like, OK, we don't hurt anymore. So we're good. So,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it, it seems like you
0: also have some really good support around you. You've got at least one friend who's pushing you and, and getting you into shape and, and encouraging you. That's great. And then you have that physical therapist who understands athletes, it can really give you some more formal direction. So I'm pretty encouraged by what I've heard on, you know, during this conversation, you know, this isn't a serious injury, injury, you can still run. And there's a lot of opportunity for improvement after this race. And and I think that starts with some good strength training.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, I hope you come back on and let us know how you're doing, maybe beginning of 2023. Hopefully by then you're gearing up for your first marathon with healthy, happy knees.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jason. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for those of you who wanna learn more about Team Strength Running, the program Jason is a member of, you can do so at strengthrunning.com slash join. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. Our newest sponsor is Soar Running. Learn more about them at soarrunning.com and be sure to use code SRUN15 for 15% off your order until the end of October. I have been inseparable from my one inch split leg Soar shorts and my Soar painter's hat this summer. And for good reason, their gear is elite level. They have technically groundbreaking wet and cold weather gear that's guided by a function first mentality. The result is just amazing apparel that's comfortable, it's light, and it's just effective at helping you train really well. They're at the forefront of design innovation with ergonomic designs, cutting edge fabrics, and continuously updating clothing that just keeps getting better. A good example of this is their men's racing singlet, which is the lightest on the market at only 48 grams for a size medium. I have loved everything I've worn from Soar because it's made for performance and it just fits amazingly. Get equipped for all of your running adventures this fall at soarrunning.com and get 15% off your order with code SRUN15. That's S-R-U-N-1-5 at soarrunning.com. But don't wait. This code is only valid through the end of October. Next, I want to hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor, so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Right now, I'm on a real watermelon kick, and if that doesn't sound tasty, citrus is my number two flavor. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, and no artificial colors. It's surprisingly delicious. Seriously, everyone who I've given it to loves it. And it can be a helpful way to prevent dehydration if you're training in the heat. If you sometimes feel overly tired, or you get headaches or cramps, or you're sleepless, after, especially after a long run or a workout, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions so they don't run out. Check them out at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning to get your free sample pack gift with a purchase, and then you can get your hydration optimized for your upcoming season. Finally, let's hear back from our guest from episode 261, Owen Everard. He was our guest a couple episodes back, and now I asked him to answer a listener question. Let's hear from Owen. All right, we have a special segment right now. We're doing a follow-up to our episode with Owen Everard from episode 261. We got an interesting question from a listener named Danny, who emailed me and said, you know, I could entirely relate to all Owen had to say about neuromuscular athletes. I'm very speed oriented and I found everything he said to be true related to familiarity and practice with race paces. And her question is essentially, how can or should we approach marathon training differently for a neuromuscular athlete? Any considerations we should think about? Any workout modifications that would make a lot of sense? What do you think, Owen?
2: Jason, thanks a million for having me back. I'm back like I forgot something. So I'm delighted, <laughs> <laughs> delighted for a second bite of the cherry. Um, yeah, yeah, I would. So for someone who's going to be a more muscular runner, I think that what they what generally you'll see is that like long, continuous running can be an issue. So like say where normal marathon preparation might have, you know, you're just constantly increasing your long run and that long run being... Um, basically easy and then maybe a session in the week or the long run being um, yeah that continuous run I feel that for the neuromuscular runner generally, generally anyway I do this but it's probably because of the background I come from being a kind of neuromuscular runner that have a two-week cycle and that if on one say Saturday or Sunday you do a long run The following week should be like a workout within the long run and the long run should be shorter. So that way you're kind of hitting the thing that you're good at and it seems to get better benefit as we go. So for example, um, you might have, say, instead of someone doing like a two hours, 30 minute run, you might do a two hour run, but in that then you might do 45 minutes easy and then you'll do 45 minutes of, say, 10 minutes at marathon pace, five minutes easy for 45 minutes. And then you might do 20 minutes after that at, like, 45 seconds at, like, say, 10K type of feel, not, like, 10K pace, but that 10K feel and 75 seconds, like, steady, not, not, not like, complete jog, but nearly back to what the 45 minutes easy pace would have been. And then a mile easy recovery making up your two hours. So, okay, you're not getting the same distance, but you're getting used to running marathon pace when you're a bit tired. And I feel like that will kind of um, help the person more as they go, you know, or you might do, um, you know, as it progresses, even if you're doing say 16, 17 miles, you might just do seven or eight miles easy Six miles where one mile is at marathon pace, one mile is at like an easier pace for six miles. And then we have one mile of like Farcleck afterwards, again, like 45 on, 75 off with a mile easy. So for the more muscular runner, I feel like it's a better idea to have like a basically a two week block as opposed to like a one week block. And in that, every second week be a kind of modified long run session. Long run workout rather than constantly looking at just increasing the mileage because she'll probably feel that that doesn't really work for her, or she'll probably get more injuries doing that type of work because of the duration um, and that aerobic work will be harder. Where if she puts in a kind of modified workout, she'll get away with doing less time on feet for a lot of the runs um, and get better benefit, would be my experience.
0: Yeah, this seems like a really good way to approach modifying the long run so that it works for a more neuromuscular oriented athlete who might struggle with some of those longer, you know, 18, 20 plus mile long runs just at your normal easy pace. So what we're essentially doing is sacrificing a little bit of volume, a little bit of time on feet for that quality. And that's going to hit those neuromuscular runner strengths and avoid what they're not good at, which is just more of that easy, longer distance running for hours and hours. Now, Owen, should there be any difference to the midweek workouts? You know, we talked about the long run, but how would you approach, you know, the the faster training session during the week for a more neuromuscular athlete training for a marathon?
2: I actually don't change that that much, to be fair. The people would do roughly the same because I feel like even for the aerobic runner, um, they they should be doing some, uh, some kind of interval work during the week anyway. Now we're not talking like ten k work, for example, like um, like you know you might have they'll all do like say forty minutes of farc with two minutes on, two minutes off, um, like so it's still a longer session that would be say smack in the middle of, um, you know smack in the middle of marathon training ten minutes uh ten by three minutes of LT, like lactic threshold work, or five by seven minutes at like marathon pace or marathon heart rate, with like a minute off recovery, um, with fifteen minutes of a jog, fifteen minutes of cool down. That way, we're all getting like, say, maybe some strides and like a couple of little drills before your your training session, and as you said, like have that one interval session be an interval session for everybody like even though you're a neuromuscular muscular athlete you're still doing a marathon you're still running 26 miles so it's not like you're a norm muscular athlete who has to be doing 10k training like 10k is you know six miles so it, it's it's not going to be beneficial you still have to get the distance and then for the aerobic runner running economy is still a big big issue so you don't want to just be doing your long run or progressive long run on, on the weekend. And then also just like a long run on a Wednesday, you do want to keep some of that running economy in there so that marathon pace feels easier or you're at least accustomed to marathon pace. Um, So I find that the only real variation I feel will be modifying like every second week or you could modify every two out of three weekends for the neuromuscular runner so where the long for the aerobic runner could do maybe just one long run and the neuromuscular runner does one long run the next week the neuromuscular runners training session would be like one of the ones we discussed there the long run the aerobic runner might have like a progression run that's longer so say like if we're you know near near your end like you have the double marathon coming up here in three weeks so say three four weeks, weeks out there's could be a three-hour progressive long run from like easy to mid to like marathon or a little bit quicker than marathon pace, say for the last hour compared to um, the norm muscular athlete being a two hour 30 run where, as we said, maybe like uh, seven or eight miles are easy. Six miles are kind of marathon pace and one mile of like on offs with a mile cool down um, just to adapt it. So yeah, I don't think the middle middle workout needs to be adapted for either.
0: Okay. So you would keep the middle workout the same. That's that midweek faster training session. You would cut out some of the longer, just easy long runs and instead include some quality, you know, marathon pace, 10K pace, something like that. What about overall weekly mileage? Would the neuromuscular athlete want to maybe sacrifice total mileage and maybe do a, a second workout during the week, or would they just benefit from slightly less mileage overall? How would you think about total mileage for this type of runner?
2: I think with total mileage, because we're not elite runners. So I'm not thinking of like a very elite marathoner. Now that might differ, but but I'm thinking of just our general, maybe like a three-hour, 30-minute marathon runner you know, roughly that, maybe three hours, maybe four, maybe, maybe even two 30, but Anton, up to that, I feel like we should only be doing two workouts in the week anyway. So Wednesday, and then if we're doing like, say the long run, um, so I don't think I would sacrifice the mileage. As I said, the mileage might look different. So for the muscular runner, the mileage would be got through say, um, so we could have like rest day Friday or ideally like but this kind of works best for people because they're off on the weekend. So say ideally you would do workout Friday, maybe rest day Saturday and then your long run Sunday if that was a normal one. And then the fun week where we're seeing we're putting in a bit of quality into the long run, um, the workout would be that two hour run. And then just do like 70 minutes the next day or 60 minutes. And you've built built that up over time. So you're still getting the mileage in. It mightn't be as much, but the only real difference in the mileage will be that like you won't have this longer run. So rather than doing 18 miles, you've done 15. But then the next day you've done, you know, maybe nine miles or eight, nine miles as an easier run. So, like, I I would still keep the runs in there, um, but it wouldn't. We wouldn't have excessively long long runs, and we're still getting that bit when you're tired with the longer runs. Say, in the in the modified long run, so the long run workout, because the long run workouts, like, say you're still doing a two hour run there, or you still could be. As we're getting closer to the marathon, you're still doing like a sixteen or seventeen mile run and then you might have one three hour run just easy but that's like getting used to fueling and that would be you peaked out do you know what I mean so like rather than having a lot of different runs it would be maybe a 16 17 mile with a with a workout and then the following week could be like three hours of time on your feet but that's you done you haven't been doing like say 240 250 three hours because I feel like that'll break you down more than have some quality, try one like time on feet one, um, and just keep it that going that way. Does that make sense or is that a bit waffly? Do you get what I'm saying there?
0: Yeah, no, it does make sense. It sounds like you, you really just want to cut out the longest run of the week. So the long run, the long run. And then you don't really want to sacrifice total weekly mileage. You can kind of make it up the next day. So You know, in other words, you might have instead of a three hour run on Saturday and then a 30 minute run on Sunday, you might have a two and a half hour run with some quality work in it on Saturday and then an hour run on Sunday. So you're sort of shifting either the mileage or the time running to the next day. And this is actually a great strategy, I think, for marathon runners. It's sort of borrowing from the ultra runner playbook where they do back to back long runs. And, you know, there's some structure they put in there. But it's the same idea where if instead of just a pure recovery day, you're doing a fairly long run of maybe an hour, maybe 75 minutes the day after a long run, it can somewhat mimic doing a longer run the day before. So I see a lot of value in that approach.
2: Yeah, that's it. And, and like, it's also remembering, like, you're still doing a long run. Like, it's not like you're still doing maybe 13 to 15 to like your peak kind of workout might be 16 or 17 miles, depending on how you're feeling with like, as we said, seven or eight miles easy, six miles steady. So it's not like we haven't got up closer to marathon pace, but it's like just focusing on your strengths and kind of going from there. And as you said, adding the extra mileage in after that.
0: Well, oh, and this was really helpful as we try to understand how to apply this way of thinking about two different types of runners to a race that, you know, at, at first impression would really optimize for that aerobic runner. You know, who's going to be good at the marathon? Aerobic runners. But of course, neuromuscular runners are going to want to run marathon or marathons at some point. So this is a really helpful way of thinking about how they can modify their training. So thanks for coming back on the podcast. I know this was a little bit of a bonus appearance, <laughs> a little bit of a, a follow-up, but this was really fun.
2: Great. Yeah. Anyone, anyway, everardplades.com forward slash book, if you want to st- have how to get to the line in the best shape possible, if you would want to check that out. Um, thanks a million for the question. And as you said, I think the key thing here is that it's not ignoring the training that needs to be done. What we're not saying here is like, oh, Danny, do 10K training and hope you'll be OK for the marathon. It's just slight tweaks can be made. So you're doing a little bit more race specific pace and that can work for anything up to a marathon. So it's actually great to clarify that for people. And if they have other questions, I'd love to be back on again.
0: Yeah, for sure. And for anybody who missed this full discussion, you can go back to episode 261 and hear Owen and I really geek out in more detail on aerobic versus neuromuscular runners. Thanks for your time, Owen.
2: Thank you. Take care.
0: All right. That's our show today, my friends. Thank you for sharing this episode with your friends, for your reviews in Apple Music, and most of all, for your dedication to this amazing sport. We'll talk soon.